report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good Friday afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. This starts soon. Israeli Defense Forces have gotten the green light now to go into Gaza and take this war to the ground. Speaking through an interpreter today, Israel's defense minister told the troops, Get organized. Be ready. The order will come. Thank you so much, guys. We trust you. Good luck, and we'll meet again. Whoever sees Gaza from afar now, we will see it from the inside. I promise you, that's a promise. The head of the IDF says it'll take six to eight months to destroy Hamas in Gaza. Correspondent Richard Engel. The ground assault would be much more deadly for Gazans, risky for Israeli soldiers and could tip the region into a wider war, which is already expanding. Retired U.S. Navy Captain Armin Kurdian explains what the ground war game plan might look like. It's not a question of necessarily miles per hour. It's a question of how many of the forces can they get inside of Gaza in the shortest amount of time. They control two land borders, and they can also come in via the sea. They can isolate pockets of where they believe Hamas is and slowly close in, prevent them from escaping, and essentially force them to either surrender or die. Former NBC News Middle East correspondent Martin Fletcher says some of his relatives were taken captive by the terror group. They were last seen, their hands tied, being dragged away by the Hamas terrorists. We know that from what we've found out about Hamas, that they were told to kill the difficult ones and to use the rest as human shields. Hamas is holding 200 hostages in Gaza, including 30 children and 11 Americans. This mother's nine-month-old baby was seized during that October 7th attack in southern Israel. This is torture. There are innocent civilians, innocent children in hard conditions they need to be released and released now this is crazy this is a nightmare a u.s naval destroyer in the red sea has intercepted missiles and drones that were fired at israel from yemen overnight pentagon spokesman pat Ryder. we cannot say for certain what these missiles and drones were targeting but they were launched from yemen heading north along the red sea towards targets in israel two u.s military bases in iraq were attacked overnight as well rising tensions in the middle east has forced the state department to put out a worldwide alert for Americans overseas. Federal officials are also warning of potential threats here at home. Catherine Harridge continues our coverage. The intelligence bulletin details reports of physical assaults, bomb threats, and online calls for mass casualty attacks. A separate alert from New York City police identifies an uptick in violent neo-Nazi messaging online and finds foreign terrorists like Al-Qaeda are calling on followers to attack Americans and Western Europeans. In a primetime speech to the nation last night, President Biden pitched a new $105 billion foreign aid package for Israel and Ukraine. We cannot and will not let terrorists like Hamas and tyrants like Putin win. I refuse to let that happen. Ohio Senator J.D. Vance says it was wrong to lump the war in Ukraine with what's happening in the Middle East right now. What the president did is completely disgraceful. If he wants to sell the American people on $60 billion more to Ukraine, he shouldn't use dead Israeli children to do it. It was disgusting. No aid to Ukraine or Israel can happen, though, until there's a House speaker. Right now, the U.S. House is a house without a speaker. It's all about the 
math. And for Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, the math does not add up. Despite suffering defeats and floor votes, though, the Republican representative is not giving up. we got important work to do. We can't do that if the House isn't open. We can't open the House until we get a speaker. Reporter Garrett Hayes. The longer it goes, the worse it gets. Uh, Passing an aid package for Israel and Ukraine, probably the most urgent need that Congress has, well, they can't do anything to address it until they elect a speaker. Jordan needs 217 votes to get the gavel. Correspondent Scott McFarland explains what's the holdup. Jordan met behind closed doors with some of those Republicans who are not in his camp. And as those Republicans left the meeting, they told us they're still not in his camp. I mean, this opposition feels bulletproof, which makes a very cloudy picture in the future. Texas Congressman Mike McCall. We just stay here until we fill this vacancy. Every day we go without a speaker, uh, it sends a terrible message to the world and our adversaries uh, that we're dysfunctional, that we are not capable of governing in a democracy. The House has been without a speaker for 17 days since the ouster of Kevin McCarthy. A 52-year-old circuit court judge has been murdered in Maryland. He was shot in the driveway of his home in Hagerstown. This is still an active crime scene as investigators here try to figure out who murdered a judge here in Hagerstown. Now, they tell us when they got here, they found a man shot in a driveway of a home down on the ground. They say they got that man to the hospital, but he could not be saved. Reporter Casey Nolan, Travis King, the American soldier who crossed into North Korea in July, is facing desertion, assault, and child pornography charges. The 23-year-old Army private could get three years in prison on the desertion charge alone. He spent 70 days in North Korea before the communist regime let him go. It's not what we would normally expect of North Korea. I think in the end, they interrogated him. Uh, They understood the circumstances under which he left, and they thought, we don't want him in the country. Uh, And so they let him go. Korean affairs expert Victor Cha, the army private caused an international incident when he bolted across the border at the DMZ. King is being held at a civilian jail outside Fort Bliss, Texas, near El Paso. Military obesity rates are on the rise, and it's creating problems in both terms of recruitment and retention. Today, 68% of active duty service members are either overweight or obese. This is according to a new report from the American Security Project. Although obesity in the U.S. and the military is not new, the rapid increase in the rate of overweight troops creates concerns over military readiness. The findings are part of a broader national trend that has also shrunk the military's recruitment pool as the service struggles to find eligible applicants who meet the physical requirements for enlistment. Aaron Rayall reporting. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders has banned gender-neutral language in state documents. She says the Razorback state is taking a stand against woke nonsense. What frankly started as a fad among a few grad students has seeped down into corporations, the healthcare industry, and increasingly state government. It's demeaning to women and it needs to stop. Terms like pregnant person and chest feeding will be replaced with pregnant woman and breastfeeding. The Republican governor argues Arkansas will not lay down and accept the left's cultural revolution. Still to come on the Noon Report, Hochul returns home, treating drug addicts and tracking teen trends. Good afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams, tracking a disturbance set to bring us some weekend rain at times. 
some breezes, and ultimately some pretty chilly air. I'll have forecast details coming up shortly. We'll see you in 10. All right, see you then. Thank you, Kevin. New York Governor Kathy Hochul's returned home following that two-day stay in Israel to show support to the Jewish state in its war with Hamas. She met with Israeli families who fled the fighting and spoke with the relatives of those taken hostage by Hamas. What I witnessed was more horrific than I had imagined. Searing pain to see a loved one stripped from your arms and taken hostage or shot in front of you. While in Israel, Governor Hochul learned her father died in Florida. John Courtney was 87. He died of a brain hemorrhage. The governor paid tribute to her father by writing a note to him and placing it in a crack in Jerusalem's western wall. Michael Wallace reporting U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand is calling for an Ivy League professor in Ithaca, New York, to be fired for his remarks about Hamas. Cornell history professor Russell Rickford was shown on video calling the Hamas terrorist attack exhilarating and energizing, generating national backlash. Senator Gillibrand says Cornell should fire Rickford, but free speech advocates say even deplorable comments are protected protected by the First Amendment. The university says the comments were reprehensible and indirect opposition to everything Cornell stands for, but so far there's no word on whether there will be any disciplinary action. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. New York Congressman Mike Lawler says pro-Palestinian Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan should be ousted from office for blaming Israel for a bombing this week near a hospital in Gaza. She has no business serving in the House of Representatives. She showed more anger at a lie than she did for the fact that you had 40 babies slaughtered. She has no business serving in the House of Representatives. It's disgraceful. Tlaib refusing to recant her comments about Israel despite evidence showing it was Islamic terrorists, not the Jewish state, responsible for the bombing of that hospital. Pennsylvania's university system is asking the state for help at avoiding a tuition hike at its 10 schools. The system of higher education says it will need a 6.5% funding increase if it's to avoid raising tuition rates for a sixth straight year. New York Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis is pushing for a federal ban on housing migrants at national parks. This is something that we should all be united against. We should all recognize that the thought of transforming a place like Yosemite National Park into a sprawling tent city is something that should never stand. She says national parks are funded with taxpayer dollars and it's not fair to the taxpayers to turn those parks into tent cities. New legislation in the Pennsylvania Senate could force drug addicts into treatment programs. Republican Dan Laughlin's bill requires overdose victims be evaluated by a medical expert for at least five days. Most of these folks that are that are this far down in, into substance use disorder are incapable of making clear decisions on what's best for them. Wrong move, says Matt McGarren, a substance abuse addiction specialist. I'm uh, trying to keep it together, to be honest. It really feels medieval. This is just such the wrong approach, and it will just do so much harm. Laughlin says he wrote the bill after a recent trip to drug-wrecked Philadelphia. And I saw these people literally laying on the sidewalk dying. I said to myself, I, I, I have to do something. But Garris agrees something needs to be done, but not this. There's already so little trust in the medical system for someone with a substance use disorder. To break that trust down even more, I think it's just going to have a, a devastating impact. McGarren lost his son to a drug overdose a few years ago. Republicans have been pushing to keep supervised drug injection sites out of places like Philadelphia. They argue such an approach to the overdose epidemic is 
wrong-headed, and dangerous. Geico Insurance is laying off more than 100 workers in western New York. Andy Payton with WGRZ. Someone help me! I have a flat tire! The company known for helping you save doing it at the expense of its own. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. With GEICO announcing it will be laying off 2,000 of its workers nationwide, 5.5% of its workforce here in western New York. GEICO has a facility in Amherst, New York. Legislation in the works in the Pennsylvania House would give workers on strike access to unemployment benefits like health care. Striking Mack truck worker Victor Martinez is all for it. Well, I think a bill like that will kind of give us the upper hand Plus, we'll be able to take care of our families. But House Republicans argue it's a bad idea because it would only encourage more strikes. Unions will feel emboldened to extend strikes to the detriment of taxpayers and communities. If we're paying people to stay home, we're eliminating the need for them to even want to come to the table. The bill's authors argue striking workers already pay into the unemployment system, so it is not an extra cost on the Commonwealth. Solar Eclipse sunglasses are available at public public libraries in Erie County, New York. The next eclipse is expected to be epic locally, and there are still free solar eclipse sunglasses available at several library branches in Erie County. Many Western New Yorkers are already planning for the total solar eclipse, with a path of totality moving right over Buffalo in April. There are leftover solar sunglasses from a partial eclipse that happened last weekend. The next eclipse is expected to be a once in a lifetime opportunity for viewing. D. Haley, Family Life News. Thank you, D. Teenagers have a new favorite when it comes to streaming a video service. Here's reporter Rory O'Neill. For the first time, YouTube beat out Netflix as the preferred streaming service among teens. A poll conducted by investment bank Piper Sandler looked at the spending habits of Gen Z. It found Amazon is the e-commerce website young people like the most. Nike is their favorite apparel brand. At the drive-thru, Chick-fil-A is a teenager's top choice, Monster Energy, their preferred energy drink, and TikTok is the social media platform young people turn to first. I'm Rory O'Neill. Oh, it is good to be young. Thank you, Rory. Sports is next on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, there will be no sweep for the Philadelphia Phillies. Arizona went home and walked it off against the Phils when Cattell Marte hit an RBI single in the bottom of the ninth to drive in the game winner. Two to one, your final. Marte finished three for five on the evening with a pair of doubles to go with that game winning hit. The big story for the D-backs, though, was rookie pitcher Brandon Fought. He struck out nine Phillies in only five and two-thirds innings, allowed two hits, no runs, at only 70 pitches. Many wondered why manager Tori Lavello pulled him when he did, but it worked out as Arizona now trails Philadelphia. Two games to one. Game four is tonight. The Houston Astros even up their series with the Texas Rangers, thumping them 10-3. Both Jose Abreu and Jordan Alvarez had three RBIs to lead the Strohs. Alex Bredman and Chris McCormick both drove in two. Game five today in Arlington. And you know what? So far, the home field advantage has not worked out. The home team yet to win a game. 
football. Trevor Lawrence threw a 44-yard touchdown pass to Christian Kirk with just over three minutes to play, and the Jags fend it off the Saints 31-24. On the ice, the Sabres got goals from Tage Thompson, J.J. Paterka, and Eric Johnson, but the Flames scored four goals, and they won it 4-3. The Rangers started poorly, never recovered at the Garden, falling 4-1 to the Predators. The Flyers now 3-1 on the young season as Cam Atkinson scored twice to lead Philadelphia over the Oilers 4-1. Other winners, the Lightning, Panthers, Coyotes, Kings, Knights, Stars, Kraken, Avs, and Bruins. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, religious refugees, the reach of free speech, and wet and windy for your weekend. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Nearly 15 years ago, the Uwe and Hannelore Romaika fled Germany in order to homeschool their children in the U.S. Under Germany's education laws, the Romaikas were subject to severe financial penalties for attempting to homeschool. On a few occasions, police even came to their home and escorted their children to school. So in 2009, they moved to the U.S. and petitioned the government for asylum. They lived here since, mainly in Morristown, Tennessee. Though never formally granted asylum, they were granted indefinite deferred action status in 2014 by the Obama administration. Since, they've added two children, and their two oldest married U.S. citizens. They've even welcomed a grandchild. Two months ago, during a routine check-in, the Romaikis were told that they had to return to Germany. According to their Homeschool Legal Defense Association attorney Kevin Bowden, quote, they were basically given four weeks to come back. They have a report date in October. They don't know what's going to happen in that meeting. They don't know if they're going to be forced to leave. They don't know if they're going to be taken into custody. Well, thankfully, they weren't taken into custody, and they're allowed to stay in the United States for longer. Still, given how long the family's been in the United States and how unconcerned the Biden administration seems to be about illegal immigrants pouring across the southern border of the U.S., it's really difficult to make sense of why they would be so concerned about the Ramaki family status now. Apparently, enough publicity surrounding the case pressured the INS to give them a one-year reprieve. But the increasing hostility to religious refugees on the part of the U.S. government should be a great concern to anyone who values religious freedom. According to a 2023 report from World Relief and Open Doors U.S., the number of religious refugees admitted to the U.S. has plummeted, even though the number of Christians facing persecution around the world continues to climb. An estimated 360 million Christians live under the threat of persecution and discrimination, an increase of 100 million in the last three years. That is a dramatic reduction from pre-2017 levels when the U.S. resettled an average of over 80,000 people per year. And as the report outlines, the number of religious, including Christian refugees from historically dangerous parts of the world, has decreased even more sharply. In fact, compared to 2016 levels, refugees from Eritrea, Iran, Myanmar, and Iraq in 2022 were down 85%, 95%, 92%, and 94% respectively. America, concludes the author, is no longer the safe haven for displaced persons it once was. This strange targeting of this homeschooling family, along with an unfolding crisis of green card applications that could see thousands of faith leaders in the U.S. sent home after years of being here, all suggest that the religious part of these stories could be an outsized factor. Religious refugees are unlike those seeking immigration to the U.S. for other reasons, especially those illegally immigrating to the U.S., and as a category are more strictly vetted than others. Often, they're fleeing imminent danger. 
1939, the United States turned away the MS St. Louis, a ship that was carrying more than 900 Jewish passengers seeking refuge from persecution in Nazi Germany. It remains a shameful moment in America's history, one that ought not be repeated. It is possible to secure the border while still assisting refugees that are facing religious persecution. And assisting doesn't always mean bringing them all here. Conversely, it's absolutely inhumane to not have borders for some, inviting their own mistreatment and exploitation, while at the same time closing off help to Iranian and Burmese Christians, Chinese Uyghurs, and families like the Ramakis. The current situation only feeds this narrative that's growing that America is becoming a hostile place for religion, especially the Christian faith. That narrative is supported by more than enough evidence already. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, John, thank you very much. It is Friday, folks, the 20th of October, and this is the Noon Report. Welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute. And gentlemen, while much of our time is devoted to news out of New York and Pennsylvania, we would be remiss if we did not start with the very latest that is happening in the Holy Land. I know the governor of uh, New York has been there to show solidarity. The president has been there to show solidarity. But, uh, Michael, when it comes to our college campuses, where is the solidarity? It's become such a flashpoint in this ongoing war. Many expressing concern about growing anti-Semitism at American universities. Why is is that happening? Well, it really is appalling to see. We see it here in Pennsylvania. The University of Pennsylvania has really become a flashpoint with the president of the university would not speak out against Hamas. This is the fruit of ideological education that's going on in many of our universities and colleges. It's something that America is awakening to and hopefully will change in the future. Yeah, Jason, we saw a video from a professor, a history professor at Cornell University in Ithaca called the Hamas attack exhilarating. What's your take on this fomenting of hate? toward the Jewish people at American universities? Well, you know, looking at it from a spiritual perspective, I think that's understood that we have a spiritual enemy, the adversary, who will be at odds with uh, God's chosen people. And I think you're seeing that even today. There's a spiritual warfare that's playing out. I completely agree with what Michael said. I think that we are seeing the indoctrination that's occurring really in the younger grades and working its way into college campuses, and we are reaping what we have sown here in our country. Quick follow-up. The philosopher Voltaire said, I may not agree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Does that apply in this instance, Michael? Everyone likes to talk about free speech, but is this cross that line into hate speech? We see what Rashida Tlaib and others, members of the squad have said. These are representatives of our United States government that don't know which team to root for here. Where do you cross that fine line between freedom of speech and hate speech? Well, when you start talking about endorsing terrorism and suggesting that the raping of women and the 
killing of innocent babies and the elderly is appropriate, that is crossing a line. There's no question about it. And yet we, again, I mentioned the University of Pennsylvania. They're the ones that told the uh, the swimmers on the swim team there to be quiet about Leah Thomas, this man coming into their locker rooms and swimming against them. They told them, don't say anything about this. But then they're allowing these Hamas supporters to have free reign on the campus to say whatever they want. Yeah. Is there a argument to be said, Jason, that there's only one side to be on when we're having this conversation? You are either on the side of good or you are on the side of evil here. What's your take as we have this conversation of the reach of free speech as Israel fights for its survival? Well, I think when we're talking about Hamas, we talk about the atrocities. There's only one side to be on that. Does that mean, though, that every action of a nation is always correct? No, there can be room for debate with how this should or should not be handled. But right now, the eyes of the world are, are on Israel, and there's no place else for the Jewish people to go. And so if America does not side with the Jewish people, that is their last stand. And I think we have a duty and an obligation to stand alongside the Jewish people in Israel. All right. Hey, moving on. Uh, the big week for you, Michael. I know you were really excited about the turnout on Monday for the third annual March for Life. What was your takeaway from this year's event? Well, there's a beautiful, joyful event. We had, I think, over 6,000 people, so it uh, has grown every year. We had people coming from every corner of the state. What I take away from it is, number one, people are really concerned about the efforts of our governor and the progressive in our legislature to try to shut down pregnancy resource centers. And so I think there's a renewed effort and a renewed desire on the people, the pro-lifers that were there at that March, Dagestan, number one, to support these alternatives for women, but number two, to be supportive of lawmakers who want to turn the tide and respect life here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, there's no state uh, that's more abortion-friendly in these United States than New York State, Jason, but there's more on that front, and legislation in the works in Albany that would expand access to these so-called abortion kill pills. What does this legislation do exactly? Yeah, Senator Rachel May and Assembly Member Amy Paulin have introduced legislation that would allow nurses and nurse practitioners and even midwives to write general scripts for abortion pills. And then the pharmacy would just uh, go ahead and, and dispense those abortion kill pills completely cost-free to the person requesting them. It's interesting with all of the things that we have co-pays for in New York regarding prescriptions, these abortion pills that we will eliminate the co-pay for. More than half of all abortions now are do-it-yourself abortions, so this is one worth keeping an eye on. Michael, State Senator Judy Ward said something really interesting at your rally, and she said, when did it become that the, the pro-life position was the extreme position? When did that happen? There was a representative from the Pittsburgh area reacting to your rally who made no bones about it when she said, yeah, if you want an abortion after 24 weeks, go for it. Why is it always the pro-life position that's considered to be the extreme position when we're talking about this issue? Much of it depends on who has the megaphone and the mouthpiece. I mean, we see the mainstream media that has become advocacy media on behalf of the abortion industry and Planned Parenthood. So I understand why this legislator would feel this way. They feel like it's a barrage. But when we look at poll numbers, when we look at where the people of Pennsylvania and people of America are, they don't believe in unrestricted abortion. They don't believe that we should be killing babies late term. And as we work as pro-lifers to take a stand to say, no, every life deserves protection, we can move that in the right direction. Direction. 
Yeah, New York's gas appliances ban is a big story. You may not know what's going on, but you will know in just a couple short years because that's when it takes effect. Jason, I know uh, there's litigation now to try to prevent this new law from being shoved down the throats of New York's 19 million people. Explain what this law does and what chance does this lawsuit has? I know a lot of folks are saying we had a legal scholar on recently said he thinks this could go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, so essentially Governor Kathy Hochul has given approval to a ban on the installation of fossil fuel equipment in new buildings. It's set to take effect in 2026 for structures of seven stories or less and in 2029 for larger buildings. So it's going to have a huge impact across the state. As a result, a number of gas and construction trade organizations have sued New York over this. Now, I think there is a good shot that this will be ultimately successful for those that want to keep their gas stoves and, and furnaces and things like that, because it follows the path of what happened in uh, California legislation. And I think this could end up in the Supreme Court. The fact that it's in a federal court is actually very promising, knowing how liberal our court system has gotten. Anytime we can see a New York case in federal court, well, that could be a good sign. All right. Hey, Mike, I know you're excited. Women's sports activist Riley Gaines, whom a lot of us know about, and Seth Dillon from the Babylon Bee, he's always a hoot. Uh, they're going to be headlining the Friends of the Family Banquet next month. What's the message they'll be sharing in Hershey this year? Well, uh, the theme of our banquet this year is uh, strong and courageous, and it describes both of those speakers that we have there. And our society really desires and needs people to stand up against the kind of idiocy that we're seeing in our culture, things that are harming kids, our families, our society. And so Seth Dillon and especially Riley Gaines are going to exemplify how we can be effectively standing up for what is true in a winsome and effective way. And we got time for one more issue, Jason. We'll talk about uh, the influence that social media is having on our children, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. It has really started to become an issue, and so much so that Attorney General Tish James recently went forth with new efforts to rein in that influence, maybe give parents a little more control over this. Do you support the effort of the Attorney General when it comes to social media and children? Well, we support the principle that parents should have control over some of these things that their kids are involved in. The algorithms and such really are troubling where it is steering children, you know, essentially using their names and their ideas to move them to things that are simply inappropriate for kids to view. So in principle, we support the Attorney General's notion of trying to help parents in this matter. But I think as it works its way through the legislative process, we're going to see that that's going to become even stronger. And we've got some suggestions as to what the legislature can do to put parents back in the driver's seat and to protect kids from things they shouldn't be exposed to. All right, and just like that, our time is up. But, uh, Michael, uh, you have new voter guides. Yeah, election day's coming up real quick. You have voter guides on your website where folks can learn more and be an informed voter. Where can they find that? Family.org. And stay informed on all that's happening in New York with all the different pieces of legislation discussed today. Jason, where can folks find out more about you? AlbanyUpdate.com. Guys, thank you very much. Capital Connection comes your way Fridays during the Noon Report or online at FamilyLife.org. A very good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast on the weather map. At this time, we're looking at an area of low pressure tracking east from Michigan with an attending front. The result? Now it's going to squeeze out some rain clouds across the area over the next couple days and uh, tap into some pretty chilly air by the end of the weekend. The call for this afternoon, 
cloudy skies, rain at times, high temperatures mid-50s to mid-60s. Cloudy tonight and tomorrow, the steadiest rains will be overnight tonight and tomorrow morning on the I-81 corridor. Scattered showers elsewhere and turning breezy. Low tonight, mid-40s to mid-50s, and highs tomorrow, 50s to near 60. Sunday, blustery, chilly, variable cloudiness, lake effect rain showers. Highs on Sunday, mostly in the 40s. All right, Kevin, the weather is a-changing. And finally, at noon for a Friday, one of the most popular meteor showers of the year is about to hit its peak. The Orionid meteor shower comes each October when the Earth passes through the trail of debris left behind by Halley's Comet. The shower lasts until November the 22nd, but NASA says it should hit its peak this weekend. Viewers with clear skies should be able to see up to 20 meteors per hour from midnight until dawn this Saturday and Sunday morning. Some meteors will produce large fireballs as they burn up in the atmosphere and shine extremely brightly for a few seconds. NASA encourages those who want to see the showers to find a good spot for meteor viewing, bring a lawn chair, and be patient. I'm Mark Mayfield. And since we're going to be mostly cloudy with rain this weekend, you might have to be real patient. Anyway, for those who can, enjoy the show. And that's our show for Friday, October 20th. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.